Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new edition of the OPC Foundation podcast, the home of industrial interoperability. My name is Peter Seberg, and I'm your host. Today, I will be talking to Derek Kominak from Matricon about OPC UA and security. Derek will talk about built-in security, key security concepts. He will address the ITOT gap. He will talk about endpoints and protecting against common hacker malware attacks, security in different industries, many other security features uh, that have made OPC UA what it is today and why it has been so successful. Okay, let's start. Hello, Derek. Great to have you with us today. How are you? Oh, hello, Peter. Uh, great to join you on this podcast. I'm doing great. Enjoying the, uh, the mild Canadian winter we're having so far. Great. Derek, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us a bit about yourself, your company, Matricon, and your involvement to date with OPC and the OPC Foundation. Sure, Peter. So about myself, well, first, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Derek Kominick. My background is in computer engineering. I did some software development for the first 10 years of my career before shifting into uh, basically marketing and product management. So here at Matricon, I've been with the company for 16 years. Um, and as the marketing director, I look after our strategic marketing and product positioning type activities. One aspect that I really like about the job, too, is the opportunity to connect with uh, the control automation community just to see how things companies are doing, exciting things, also the challenges that they face. So as such, I also run our technical solutions consulting group that assists our, our direct and partner sales channels uh, for working with OPCUA-based solutions. And I also run an eco-partner program uh, that deals with our partners that use the Matricon Flex OPCUA SDK. Outside of Matricon, I'm also a member of the OPC Foundation's um, Marketing Control Board. So here I get to take part in actually shaping some of the, brand, the the OPC Foundation brand and, you know, working with OPC UA and also just seeing all the exciting initiatives uh, that are being done around the world. And as such, I get to travel and evangelize OPC UA. About our company, so Matricon has been around for about 20 years. We were acquired by Honeywell about eight years ago. And as such, we've remained actually as a standalone brand. So that means that we all, obviously are all our branding stays as Matricon. And as well, we are completely vendor neutral. So we work with all vendors equally. Uh, Matricon made its name initially on its wide range of data connectivity products. And then also the sort of the innovations that we brought in for how you manage OPC data throughout your network. So it's things like redundancy and mapping between servers and getting over some of the challenges that early, you know, OPC Classic had. And we sort of continued that tradition. So with the advent of OPC UA, Matricon expanded its focus just from uh, looking at end user products to also uh, supporting automation vendors by developing a high performance OPC UA SDK. Since we see that OPC UA is moving from PCs a lot into the actual devices themselves. And then also building our next generation technology on top of Flex which is called Matricon Dispatch, which is where we are today. So that's me in a nutshell. Sounds great. Derek, security nowadays is a big topic. Nobody that deals with automation, IT or OT, can do without. What role does OPC UA play in it? What does OPC UA help to protect? Sure. Yeah, great question to start with. Absolutely. You know, when we hear in the news all the different things that are happening around the world and the types of uh, threats you know, that start to come up when we deal with uh, just network communications, since everybody's relying on them, obviously, there's a lot more threat. 
And when we talk about, uh, you know, industrial automation, so whether it's the Industry 4.0, uh, the excitement that's happening, you know, originated in, in Europe and is spreading, or IIoT, Industrial Internet of Things, you know, everything in the end is based on the data that's coming from all the underlying data sources and then, you know, what you do with it. So OPC UA actually is sort of exactly in the sweet spot of that topic because uh, OPC UA focuses on moving data from point A to point B. Now, really, when you talk about security, you know, what happens with data, data is basically in three states. So either you've got data at rest, you're storing it, you know, in databases, historians, et cetera, or within a device. And then it's in process or data in motion where you're transferring data. So OPC UA focuses on that third part, the data in motion aspect, but it looks at it holistically. So not just on how you, for example, encrypt the data as it moves across the wire, but also who, you know, to begin with gets, should get access to them for information and what they can do with it. So it's sort of an overall view. So, you know, what does OPC UA protect? Well, basically all the data starting from where it's generated from the sources, which increasingly are moving down into the, the lowest levels on the shop floor to all the way up to communications up to the cloud. That's, you know, that, so the entire sort of path that you travel with OPC UA from, from beginning to destination. I've heard people say that OPC UA has built in security. What does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, that's something that's an essential ingredient inside OPC UA. So basically it was built ground up for security. So based on sort of the lessons learned over the past 20 or so years now, uh, maybe a little less for OPC Classic when it came through. One thing that the foundation realized is that it's not just about connectivity. The security is an integral part of it. And especially in industry where you've got IT departments trying to protect the, the networks and you've got OT guys trying to keep their plants running, the path forward has to be with the IT best practices being built right into the OT standards for communications. Otherwise, it's just really tough to get everything working seamlessly. Based on that, the parts of the standard. So OPC UA has 14 parts to the overall standard. And out of those, six have actually direct impact on or directly impacted by security and have measures within them for implementing security for OPC UA. So literally OPC UA, as it was being created, written, implemented, security was one of the top things that we were looking out for. And therefore, we say that it's built ground up uh, for that. Understood. While OPC Unified Architecture, so OPC UA, has been around for about 15 years, the earlier version, today called OPC Classic, uh, started another 10 years earlier. Has security been around and um, has it been the same since the early days or what has been different since OPC UA? Yeah, that, uh, absolutely. So security has been around, you know, from the start. It's just people's perception of how much security is required or how much is enough. Uh, that has dramatically shifted, especially fueled by greater dependence and expansion of use of uh, in connected data. So, uh, you know, when, when we talk about classic security, I mean, that was primarily based on, you know, the underlying OS security that was implemented. So at that time it was bound to Windows and it was using DCOM and such. And I mean, and now going forward, given the, the breadth and scope of where OPC UA is used and the fact that it's completely OS agnostic, platform agnostic, etc., comparing those two would be sort of like comparing, you know, the biplanes from uh, World War One to what we have now are stealth fighters, right? The, they both fly, but they're very different in what their capabilities are. 
So with OPC UA, uh, really, you know, there are aspects of it that are evolutionary and things that are more revolutionary. Uh, so the lessons learned from the past definitely were folded into it, but also looking forward, uh, not just to fix what was an issue in the past or improve it, but also to kind of look at the bigger picture of what's coming, uh, especially when we talk about the you know, industrial Internet of Things. So we're also shifting from just pure connectivity to also interoperability, which, you know, brings in information modeling and such. So all the additional stuff that other podcasts uh, will cover, but all of that depends on the security. So, you know, if I was to pick out a few, just a few aspects that have changed. So first of all, OPC UA is uh, it's based on a service oriented architecture. What that means is that it has interchangeable layers that are, you know, sort of all stack up in order to implement a full blown OPC UA server or client. And that means that, for example, we break communications down into things like transport layer channel and then sessions. And each of those has various security features built into them as well. And that not only is important for what we do today, but also when we try to future proof it. So rather than just making something that's safe today by today's security standards, it was designed to also remain flexible to allow, for example, different transports to be swapped in and out as needed as the the networking style changes. So, for example, you might be, uh, you know, everyone is used to doing on-prem or basically on the shop floor communications. But when you're trying to talk to the cloud, you're dealing with a different environment and therefore you need to swap out a transport that's typically used for a different one that's better suited to to talk on the web, for example. So that type of future proofing by making it layered and platform agnostic, th those are examples of, you know, sort of the scope of how much broader OPC UA security is. So overall, that's that's what makes OPC UA in part more suited for you know the world we're in today for for connectivity. How well suited then is OPC UA for industrial IoT, uh, also called Industry 4.0? Does OPC UA address the uh, IT-OT gap as far as security is concerned? Absolutely, it is suited for them. And the interesting thing is, is that as the OPC Foundation developed OPC UA, you know, this was sort of a logical outcome of, again, what we did in the past with the classic side and also looking to the future, sort of imagining what that will look like. Lo and behold, a few years later, after that initiative was started and OPCUA was ruled out, you know, this wave of IIoT and Industry 4.0 came in and it turns out that, yeah, we actually sort of predicted which wave that wave is going to go and it fits uh, exactly. So as I mentioned before, the shift from being just OT centric, which is where OPC UA comes from, right, from the operations side and just ensuring that you can get data in the operations side to fully being integrated or working with the, the best of what IT technology has for security. So rather than needing workarounds, you work with connectivity on the shop floor and make it uh, compatible with the IT side of, of security. This actually incorporates both. Uh, so effectively helping to, you know, dramatically, let's say, reduce the, the friction that might occur between IT and OT. Now, to be a bit more specific, so some of the best practices, it's all about best practices. You know, the OPC Foundation didn't invent how it's going to integrate or work better between IT and OT. It's actually working with the best practices sort of from both areas, both areas. So end-to-end -end security as a, as a concept to ensure that, you know, where the data originates from and where it goes to, that you've got literally security starting, you know, there's no middle sort of men in between that when you're trying to establish and then maintain security. 
the fact that it's designed to be secure by default. So, you know, vendors also when they're making products that they're not shipping them with default passwords and such and or using none none for for security. We'll explain what that refers to the none none. Also, it's much more you know involved with other groups. So, for example, the NSA and their and their you know concept of defense in depth that they define, making sure that there are multiple layers to security, not everything just depending sort of on one gate. Uh, it's kind of like a castle structure; you have multiple moats and, and walls and such. So, OPCU was built that way, uh, or NIST for uh, dealing with algorithms. So, even though you may have encryption that's solid now, because you know things continue to evolve, there's actually groups that are monitoring well which algorithms are starting to be weaker or just not effective anymore, given that security technology keeps evolving. So that is also aligned. And again, since OPCUA has the ability to continue to evolve, as I talked about the different layers that it's built on, uh, those things can be swapped in and out. It's not tied to any particular technology, so it's more global. It works in all sort of, let's say, scenarios, whether you're talking about small microprocessors or things that don't even have operating systems on them, to all the way to large servers and cloud-based type type systems. Uses certificates. It, it includes some of the latest things like role-based security which makes it easier to maintain and sort of minimize the the headaches of trying to properly configure a secure system. And the list goes on. So all of those best practices have been folded in and built into how the the standard is used. And that's really what keeps today's IoT and Industry 4.0 systems running as well. So it's quite well aligned that way. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, security uh, in general. What would be key security concepts, um, as far as you're concerned, listeners should know about? Right, yeah. The topic of security is so huge that a lot of times I think people are overwhelmed by the range of things you'd have to know about. But because we're limiting this down to talking about data transfer, the data and motion aspect, as I said, Really, I would say that we would talk about overall a concept of trustworthiness. So what are the aspects that make your communications trustworthy? And there's actually seven principles, uh, security principles that would be worth for people to know. And they sort of neatly break down into three categories. And the first category, you have three aspects. It's called the triple A of security, and that's authentication, authorization, and auditability. That has to do with how you identify that A is A and B is B when you're talking between A and B. And that's where we, for example, use uh, PKI, public key infrastructure, how you establish the, the trust between two entities that are going to communicate, for example, two applications. This is, again, where we talk about certificates, which are very common in IT, you know, how, how systems are being secured in networks. Authorization, as far as who you allow to do things with the data once they've been authenticated as, as to who they are. And auditability, the ability to trace what actually happened. So if you're doing post-mortem sort of analysis of what actually happened, who made what requests, from where, etc., those are that's a key aspect of security as well. The next uh, set for security and the principles is uh, sometimes people say AIC. They used to refer to it as CIA, but that has too many connotations. So <laughs> anyways, that stands for confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the data, right? Uh, confidentiality, obviously. You want to keep private the, the information that's being sent between entities. Integrity means it's that data is not getting changed. And availability is just ensuring that as much as possible, that communication stays up. Now, of course, when you hear about uh, denial of service attacks, if your system is designed in such a way or your standard 
for more effectively dealing with the packets that are coming in, the connection requests and such, the higher the chance it'll stay up longer. So that's what availability deals with. And then just the last part is uh, uh, non-repudiation. And what that basically stands for is that you can tell who did what uh, without being able to spoof their identity. So by utilizing the AAA concept where you've got the authentication and you've identified two different parties, once you have that in hand, just ensuring that all the communications are captured in such a way that you can directly tell, you know, when you go a few hops down into your infrastructure, who actually initiated what call and, you know, who that either user or who the, which application was being used. So those are the seven principles. And then just other than that is just the overall defense in depth concept NSA originally proposed. Those would be sort of the key concepts, I'd say. As uh, security is built in, uh, integrated, how do users know what security functionality is implemented in a given product? Right. A product is an implementation of various functions. And of course, if it's OPC UA enabled, then, then of course, A, they would know that they have an OPC UA connection uh, available there. But then uh, also when you're talking about OPC UA specifically, servers expose endpoints, which identify sort of uh, the touch points of how, you know, what is available for, so how OPC clients who wants to talk to them, how they would actually establish those secure connections. Now, when we talk about endpoints, basically a, a product will, not only will it identify, you know, what from the vendor, you would identify what the product has. But even from, like I said, an OPC UA client trying to connect or establish a connection with an OPC UA server, it would actually just give it a list, like a menu, which security mechanisms are available for establishing a connection. Yeah, you just mentioned endpoints. Can you share some examples of such endpoints with our listeners? Sure, yeah. And, you know, endpoints are a, a convenient way to, to, to refer to this. Now, I mean, for those who are familiar with uh, security concepts overall, you know, the, the, some of the, the names that are used, the mnemonics to, to identify various algorithms and, and, and security systems, they'll be obvious to others. It might sound a lot more cryptic. So, you know, the endpoints that you see a, a server exposed, they might refer to things like AES-128, SHA-256, ASIC-256, SHA-256, etc. These lines of, you know, <laughs> to, to, to some it'll appear just random almost letters and, and numbers. But actually what those are, that these various endpoints, they reflect various security policies that the server implements. And to maybe just to, to give some insight to visualize this, it's kind of like if you go to a drive through restaurant and you can either order all the individual, you know, things you want to eat and drink, or you can pick a combo, combo one, combo two, whatever comes with that. So if you think about security policies and OPC UA servers, what they're doing is they're combining different types of algorithms and sort of exchanges that'll happen between a client and a server to first establish their identity so that they know who they're talking to mutually. And then you have to establish sort of the encryption standards of how they're going to sign messages, how they're going to encrypt the data and therefore be able to decrypt it. So that whole package, that combo of different algorithms for, for creating, you know, things like the tokens and the, and the hashing the, the values and such, all of that comes together under a policy. So these endpoints are what, what expose it, expose those, those uh, combinations of things. And hence we call them endpoints. So Really what that comes down to is whether you're going to be signing your data coming through, encrypting it or both, or, uh, you know, in the 
I guess worst case scenarios, not, not using any of them. So as I, I mentioned in the beginning of the conversation, uh, you know, choosing none, none, meaning not signed, not encrypted, which is the least secure. There are reasons sometimes people would use that, but ideally you you would want to have some kind of protection. So those those are endpoints in a nutshell. And uh, how exactly do users know what endpoints a given OPC UA server has available? Right. So when the, the way a user would know it is, of course, users will use various applications or the, the, the product. It'll have an OPC UA client built into it. So with that, when they go to establish the connection, when they're just setting it up, basically the server will advise the client of that. So when you go to connect, you have to identify, you know, the, the server will basically will let the client know here are, is a list of the different endpoints that I have. And whoever's setting up the connection would then choose which of those they want to use. Otherwise, outside of the product itself, I mean, vendor documentation would have it. That would be, you know, another way that, uh, you know, people would know what options are available. But more commonly than not, when you're in a, in a plant environment or in the field or wherever, and you're trying to connect to some device amongst many, the easiest is just to use the, like I said, the client and it'll directly get, you know, the information straight from the source, from the server. It'll, it'll advertise it. Get it. How does OPC UA protect against common hacker malware attacks? Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, after, yeah, when all said and done, the question is how well does it actually do this and, and what does it protect against? So overall, there are basically 10 common, let's say, attack types. Uh, and again, those each type of attack actually works to, to uh, basically work against one of the security fundamentals that I mentioned the, 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 of the seven types. So just to give a few examples, uh, you know, for example, so message flooding, which typically we talk about as a denial of service attacks, you know, OPC UA, again, uh, that tries to address the availability, right? And the CIA triad. So in the availability aspect there, Uh, the way the servers are meant to be implemented based on the standard, uh, they do minimal processing of incoming packets. So if things are not quite right in the packet and various uh, information in the packet doesn't immediately align, the server just drops it. It doesn't try to recover or to, to figure out, you know, or to have further exchanges with that client. It just drops it. So, again, that's intended to minimize the processing and therefore the resilience of the server. Another one could be message spoofing. Uh, so that's basically where you may be forging messages, kind of a man in the middle attack. You're coming in and starting to forge, uh, you know, it, messages so they look like they're valid, but they're not. And there are various mechanisms inside the, the OPC UA packets that are sent. So it's not only, you know, the certificates that we talk about, but uh, or, the, or the signing. You've also got session IDs. You've got channel IDs. It looks at different timestamp aspects. So there are, there's a whole host of values that are sort of embedded inside the, the standard. So when a fake message comes in, you know, it has a, you know, snowball's uh, chance in hell of, of actually <laughs> uh, making you through properly when you're using security. Uh, another one could be message, um, alt so alteration or basically replay, uh, where sometimes people could take a valid message and just try to replay it a number of times. So imagine you've got, you know, a command that you're sending that's going to activate a valve. Uh, if you keep sending the same command and the standard doesn't take this into account, basically it'll say, well, it's a valid packet and I'm just going to keep opening that valve up, which of course could have disastrous effects. So again, the session IDs, channel IDs, time uh, stamps, sequence numbers, request IDs, etc. All of these things are taken into account to prevent that type of thing. And then, of course, the most obvious one, eavesdropping. 
by using encryption, OPC way, you know, removes that as well. And the list goes on. But those are some examples. Right. So does every OPC UA enabled product have to implement all these uh, security features or profiles that you just mentioned? Yeah, so no, it doesn't. And that's that was uh, strictly done by, you know, a real realistic view of what actually happens in the real world. So given, you know, the the diverse number of applications that are out there, you've got small devices, you know, ever smaller ones now down to sensors, for example, needing to share their data, whether directly, you know, on prem or to cloud or wherever they're going to go or, you know, larger systems. So there is just such variety in the overall industrial ecosystem that uh, for the standards to be applicable across the entire spectrum, it was necessary to actually define uh, specific profiles for servers which have different capabilities. So not only does this talk about, you know, the actual mechanics of how many clients can connect to it, do they do they publish data, you know, through subscriptions or not, or do they have to be pulled, but also at what point they start to... Uh, those implementations have to have uh, OPC UA security built into them, as at least, you know, when we talk about the larger, you know, the encryption and signing and such. So there are a number of uh, profiles defined, like nano, micro, embedded profile, and then standard, and they have different uh, sort of capabilities. So in the end, uh, depending on the use uh, for what you're using the system for, Usually the compute power will will also be sort of proportional to the importance of what complexity of what is being done by a particular subcomponent. If you have something that's uh, so small that it can't run, you know, OPC UA full-blown security on it, then of course, you know, going back to the defense in depth idea, it's also, you know, you then rely on ensuring that IT properly or OT properly isolates that area and, you know, takes on the risk or mitigates that risk by basically uh, using other protection methods around uh, the component that doesn't have the, the, the OPCA. So uh, if in that way, OPCA can be used throughout the, the, you know, industry. If you've got the compute power, yes, then, you know, put in as much as, as is needed. And that needs evaluation. Uh, otherwise, if you can't, then you rely on the rest of the infrastructure to 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 protect. We've learned a couple of things about uh, OPC UA security. Now, does implementing OPC UA security uh, make a product secure? That's a, a very important question, and hopefully, you know, the vendors are listening as much as end users are listening. Just implementing OPC UA security alone, based on what the standard says doesn't necessarily make the product uh, fully secure. So there's obviously additional interfaces and interactions that that product has with the, the environment. So if you implement OPC UA security correctly, yes, it is effective given today's you know environment and everything uh, that, that currently is, is we're aware of. And of course, in the future, it'll evolve. But it's extremely important that vendors, of course, properly A, implement OPC UA security and also the other aspects of the of the product as well. So, give you an example. OPC UA uses certificates uh, to to establish you know the communications and the trust and then and the, to work between components. So, if a product has its root certificate and and other uh, certificates that it gets, if it stores it in an un uh, basically an unprotected area on board the product, then even though the product may properly implement OPC UA, if the product uh, file system or basically its network presence is compromised and someone gets access to those root certificates, well, now, of course, they've compromised the security of the product. So 
uh, it's important that you know vendors also take a holistic approach to to building these um, the products, and also at the same time, uh, administrators and on the end user side, people are also properly configuring their systems and networks. So again, things that are sensitive uh, or could be open to attack are also being addressed. How well established and uh, effective is OPC UA security across different industries? discrete process um, and how about different deployment solutions on-premise, edge or in the cloud? Uh, overall, OPC UA is equally effective basically, let's say, across the, the board. So whether you're dealing with, uh, you know, local sort of individual plant areas or even, you know, smaller production cells, or you're talking about distributed uh, systems, whether you're talking about pipelines or wind farms or renewables and such or offshore platforms, or, you know, again, in manufacturing and such. In the end, data communications are the same. So yes, the applications and sort of the, you know, various dependencies are different in the different industries, uh, but in the end, the, the data communications are actually the same. So as far as the topic of, you know, what type of industry you're in, uh, OPC UA basically applies, you know, across the, across the board. So yeah, on-prem, you know, typically you'll be using things like the client-server communications. They're interactive. They're 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 going in both directions. Uh, as you move uh, to cloud-type environments, uh, OPC UA uh, starts to rely on a different transport. So this this is where we talk about the pub/sub or publish/subscribe, which for cloud communications or or WAN. Uh, type communications is uh, based on MQTT. Then locally, also, if you need high-speed communications, you use, you know, other types of transports like UDP, for example. But in all cases, uh, security is is something that's uh, that's built into to all of them. It's one thing talking about um, how uh, secure OPC UA is, and that's what we're doing right now. And that's important for our listeners to get a better understanding on the other hand, can you share any uh, empirical evidence about the built-in security of OPC UA? Yes. Yeah, that was actually a, a key consideration for the OPC Foundation as well, that, you know, you, you can academically do, you know, a lot as far as from a, from a perspective of what type of algorithms you're using and then best practices and such. But in the end, the question is, does it hold water? So actually the foundation, you know, that not only did was testing done internally, but foundation also turned to, you know, external examples of where, where testing has been done. One of the more in-depth ones was done by, you know, by the German government, by, by the BSI that looks after their sort of federal communications. And of course, with the national push for Industry 4.0, what they needed to do is is to, to thoroughly test the available standards to kind of say, you know, what is the what would we base industry 4.0 on given that we don't want a hodgepodge of different uh, standards are piling on top of each other? Because again, the idea is to simplify things and let everything kind of communicate uh, amongst itself. So actually the BSI hired a third party company to, to actually go through and do thorough testing. And that included both the proofs. So some would refer to it more as the academic type thing, where you're actually making sure that on paper, the algorithms and and the practices that are prescribed in the policies are, are, you know, sort of best practice and that they would appear to be effective and correct. But they also did a lot of uh, implementation validation where you basically take a stock implementation of an OPC UA client and server, and then you systematically go through and try to attack it based on some of those attacks that I mentioned. So you try to compromise those, uh, you know, those seven different factors for, for security. 
and they did this. They actually published an extensive uh, report. When that came out, there's a report card in there that basically shows the different types of attacks, you know, the 10 types of attacks that I, that I was talking about. It shows, you know, which types of aspects of security are attacked by each and also how OPCUA fared against those. And of course, we, as it turns out, uh, it actually did very well and it passed them. So that was that was really a, a great boost for for sort of the confidence that, say, in industry because it's not just what we're telling the industry we've done. This is actually tested by a third party on a, on a really large scale. That also has been done in other countries. So, for example, OPCUA is one of China's uh, national standards and also something that's now, you know, woven into their Made in China 2025 initiative, uh, where, again, they did their own testing to, to see, you know, does this thing really hold water or not? Uh, in addition, OPCUA has also been uh, looked over by the IEC. Uh, so also that is a, it's also a, become a standard uh, in the IEC as well, the 62541. Uh, so there, there's been a lot of external testing that's been done. Of course, the different vendors are doing testing themselves, but that's more sort of an internal thing uh, that, that they're doing. But overall, that's some pretty comprehensive evidence of, of how well, you know, the, the, the security works. Uh, on the other hand, the, when vendors are also churning out products, uh, OPCUA products, certification is also important. So there are also, you know, the validation that the, the software is correctly operating and that it, you know, meets the security standards for, you know, what's currently published. Uh, that's also an important aspect. So certification of OPCUA products is uh, an important step sort of in ensuring that you, you have a well-implemented product and therefore secure. We talked about that. We'll, we'll talk about more about uh, certification in the near future as well. As many listeners realize, security is a cat and mouse game between hackers on one hand and the security community on the other hand. How does OPCUA keep up in that game? Right. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a, uh, an ongoing, <laughs> never ending type story. Again, the, the layered approach to, to building, uh, to defining OPCUA with its service architecture and the different uh, layers, it was actually designed for continuous evolution. Now, what that means is that you can always continue to use what you uh, currently have implemented, but sometimes it's necessary to update a product or, or, or basically when the next version comes out to, to upgrade some of the, uh, you know, the, the security that's used on board. So an example of that is when the, the encryption algorithms. So, of course, we keep hearing about, uh, you know, in a simplified fashion, we say that the keys are getting longer. Uh, it's not only just about how long uh, a particular key is. It also has to do with, you know, the algorithms that are used to generate the key to uh, prevent, you know, the bad guys from from reverse engineering that or to spoof it. So uh, that that actually stays synchronized, that effort stays synchronized also with what other uh, standards bodies and government bodies are doing. So, for example, in, in the OPCUA specification, we make reference to uh, the NIST guidelines that, that are put out for the expiration dates of various uh, algorithms. So different algorithms are used for different things, whether you're hashing information, uh, whether you're generating the, the actual you know, identifiers that for, for the certificates. But these these guidelines basically say when, you know, it's time to start replacing these. So even now, uh, since the release of OPCUA, we've already deprecated some of these. And the thing to understand is that, you know, that the different underlying algorithms that may become deprecated, they individual ones are chosen 
to be part of different groupings of security features, which I refer to as the policies. So just as I gave that drive-through example where you pick combo one or combo three for, for your lunch, uh, the same way when you're choosing different policies, connection policies, which you pick based on the endpoints, those are composed of various algorithms that are put in there. And what, if one of them is deprecated, then basically the policy would change to say, you know, we don't we don't don't use that one anymore or at least use it with caution, depending on whether you can swap it out or not. So like the SHA, SHA-1 hash algorithm, for example, was uh, deprecated. And therefore, we deprecated things like like the basic uh, 128 RSA 15 or the basic 256 policies then start to get deprecated to say, you know, time to move on. Then we've introduced new ones. So, for example, the JSON web tokens, JWT, that was added for when you're passing a user identity. So some things get deprecated, other things get expanded. And so, you know, we, we just continue to work in that fashion. So we add or we add transports or remove them and we work with the, the underlying encryption algorithms. We've learned a lot about OPC UA built-in security. What information sources can you suggest to those listeners that want to learn more about the practical implementation uh, of OPC UA security? I would say that one of the best places to start is directly on the OPC Foundation website. So opcfoundation.org. There is a lot of material on there. So whether it's, uh, you know, there's actually a, a brochure that was published uh, not long ago, actually updated not long ago, uh, that talks about, you know, security, basically advice for how to uh, securely deploy OPC UA. So that's kind of a great reference for end users to take a look at. Plus, you know, all sorts of information about, you know, what's what uh, security is implemented in OPC UA. There's a, a Wikipedia page actually for the op on, for, about OPC UA and its security. That again is actually directly accessible off of the, the OPC Foundation website. And uh, well, you can always go to the standards themselves as well. Members, of course, can also see things that are, uh, you know, work in progress. So I think that, you know, that would be a great starting point. There's, there's a lot of sources uh, on security on the web, but uh, I think starting with the OPC Foundation website would be a, a great place to start. We're coming to the end. Derek, is there anything else that you feel you would like to share with our listeners? Uh, you know, I, I would just say that, you know, and kind of tying back to the, the last question you had there about, you know, how can you learn more about, uh, you know, what, what OPC UA security has going on, or even just, you know, the topic is so broad and there's so much happening on the security front mixed in with also expanded capabilities and such. That I would, uh, you know, right now, for example, there's the foundation is looking at uh, more advanced topics as you move, especially into, you know, smaller devices, like how do you do secure booting? Uh, how do you do firmware updates, uh, key attestation? You know, all sorts of topics are kind of on the table and there are work groups that are working through it. So for those who are interested in actually starting to take part and sort of shape some of these new and evolving horizons for, for the foundation, uh, definitely being a member is where it's at because then you actually get to take part in it. Yeah, I would just encourage people to to join in and, and sort of become part of the, the, the conversation. Derek, thank you very much for your time and your great explanations on uh, OPC Way security. If you, dear listener, uh, want to learn more, as already um, Derek just suggested, on security or uh, any other technical elements or specifications of the OPC UA technology or about the OPC Foundation, 
you may first want to listen to the preceding podcast editions or visit the website at obcfoundation.org. If you have a proposal for topics or maybe are interested in appearing on the OPC Foundation podcast or maybe you want to become a member of the OPC Foundation or otherwise, please mail the OPC Foundation at office at opcfoundation.org. We'll put both the website URL and the mail address in the podcast notes. In future editions, I will be doing interviews with more special guests on topics such as cloud, certification, getting started, uh, companion specifications, uh, markets and use cases. It was great to have you with us today. If you liked what you heard, uh, give us a thumbs up, spread the news. Looking forward to have you with us again. Derek, thank you very much for having been my guest today. You're most welcome. It was a pleasure to join you. Bye-bye. <laughs>